Welcome to Standing with Ukraine, a new podcast series from Chrome Radio with me, Katrina Oliphant. Today, we're in Berlin. I remember that first visit to Berlin as if it were yesterday. It was 1978, and I had just done my A-levels. The twists and turns of the famous Berliner Mauer separated the technicolor capitalist West from the drab communist East. The Cold War still had a good decade to run. I remember going through Checkpoint Charlie in an army car to visit the Pergamon Museum, the car doors locking as we stopped at the border, the palpable sense of fear as the East German guards approached to inspect our passports through closed windows, identity pages only. No man's land with its watchtowers, vehicle traps and death strips. And then later, at the end of the day, returning to the West, appreciating for the first time what it really meant to be free, to have the choice to leave. Today, Checkpoint Charlie is a photo opportunity. Tourists take one another's pictures, leaning against the sandbags behind the replica US Army guardhouse, laughing and joking under the sign saying, you are leaving the American sector. I found it disquieting. Now I was back in Berlin, this time for work. It was March 2022, my first journey out of the UK since the COVID pandemic had engulfed the world in 2020. Ironically, I would be recording near the Pergamon Museum, which I had visited on that first trip in 1978. I had booked my flight out just after Russia invaded Ukraine on the 24th of February. By the time I arrived in Berlin in late March, waves of refugees from Ukraine had been flooding into the city for some time they found a warm welcome. Berliners had mobilised themselves to stand firmly with Ukraine. The blue and yellow of the Ukrainian flag was everywhere, flying from buildings in the glorious sunshine beneath the blue Berlin sky, on hoardings, in shop windows and in people's dress. Meanwhile, in the UK, the government was still entangled in visa arguments and red tape. Refugees on the run in fear of their lives were somehow expected to fill in lengthy forms on mobile phones and the government's proposed Homes for Ukraine scheme had yet to get off the ground, even though over 100,000 people had offered to act as hosts in the first 24 hours after the launch. Berliners were also out on the streets demonstrating. The weekend I was there, the sounds of a benefit concert in aid of Ukraine on the western side of the Brandenburg Gate competed with the roars of a peace rally on the eastern side. Here, people of all ages and nationalities gathered in a flurry of blue and yellow. Slogans jostled with one another. Stand with Ukraine. Wake up NATO before it's too late. Fuck Putin. The Russian embassy on Unterden Linden, built on the site of the old Hotel Bristol just down from the Brandenburg Gate, was barricaded off. The embassy windows were dark and the only signs of life came from the numerous police vehicles parked outside. Opposite the embassy, somebody had put up mock street signs in Ukrainian blue and yellow with the words Freedom Square. Beneath and all around were anti-war posters, bright yellow sunflowers, balloons and the dead fish face of Putin. As the Sunday crowd streamed past, it was as if the Berliner's afternoon Passagata had turned into one enormous peace rally. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.
Berlin's central station, the Hauptbahnhof, is at the heart of the city's refugee welcome effort. Here, exhausted, disoriented refugees arrive daily from Central and Eastern Europe. Warsaw, Prague, Budapest, Vienna. Berlin is now full, so for most refugees, the city will be yet another staging post in their ongoing search for sanctuary. I enter the huge modern building, a temple of gleaming glass and steel, in search of one of the organisers of the refugee welcome effort. The interior is vast. Floors of shops and eateries sandwiched between platforms above and below ground, all connected by shining silver escalators. Glossy advertisements for consumer brands compete with blue and yellow posters in English, Russian and German. There are directions to the children's corner, the pets area, where to go for free train tickets for travel within Germany. I follow the blue and yellow signs and reach the main welcome desk. There I meet Ina, a psychologist. Currently I am in all of my free time a coordinator of the volunteer work at the main station in Berlin. We are not a fixed organization. We're literally just all private people who came here because they wanted to help. And it started in a telegram group that a couple of people, not me, uh, started when they showed up in the first days when refugees started arriving in Berlin. They showed up at the main station and noticed that help was needed. They had a couple of sandwiches, wanted to give them warm food, wanted to give them a warm welcome. And then as more and more people started arriving, we had up to about 10,000 a day. We don't even know how many exactly there were. This telegram group grew accordingly. We are almost 20,000 people in the main station telegram group. I work three days a week in a counseling service and I'm here four days a week currently. In the first week I actually took time off work. Right now I'm putting all my free time into being here, but at some point you have to set more boundaries and have to do a little bit more self-care, which as a psychologist I should know about, but it's not always easy to adhere to your own standards. We're trying to set up our team in a more stable and sustainable way. We need more reliable people for that. A lot of people come here because they heard that they can help and then they never come back. So we need people that we can rely on, that we can count on, that do a good job and that are also sensitive to the requirements of the people who come here, who we're here for, for the refugees. And we're working on that. Our running language here is English just because there are so many people, Russian, Ukrainian natives who do not speak good German, also people from Arabic-speaking countries. A lot of them also speak French. So we operate in English. I asked Ina where she had learned her English. Too much Netflix, she laughingly responded. In the early days of the refugee welcome effort, there was a huge amount for the volunteers to organize. There were no official players here on site. It was literally just us volunteers. We set up a food station. We set up support for kids, for BPOC, LGBTQIA people, especially BPOC people, have been discriminated against at the borders during their travels. We set up an info counter, pet supplies, because a lot of people arrive with their pets. They're very important to them a hygiene station for hygiene products. Then German Railways, the Deutsche Bahn, which owns the Hauptbahnhof, stepped in. They tried to give a little bit of order to our chaos. A very important point was fire hazard because all of the donations that we had here, all of the clothes and everything are obviously fire hazard. We were a little bit frustrated because people need clothes. They arrive with nothing, they arrive with torn up shoes because they were walking to the border like 30, 40 kilometers. 
all of the clothes was actually one of the first things to be taken out of here because we're in Germany and everything is very strict. Now donations are collected in like a central facility. There is now an official caterer as well. There is a stable amount of food provided, but in our hearts, it's not enough. It's dry sandwiches. It's one type of soup that's not served 24 hours a day. And our food station people did a marvelous job through a donation platform. A lot of restaurants donated, a lot of private people. We got giant shipments of stuff for children as well. Awesome food, pizzas even. That was shut down and those people were very sad because they'd put so much effort into it. And now what people get is sort of minimum provision because everything has to be practical, let's say. There were tensions too. Also in the beginning we had the problem that all of the players that came in, like the official ones, one after the other, the police, the Berlin Senate, they started talking about us and not with us, like we were one part of what they had to manage. And we felt not taken seriously as the ones who do most of the groundwork or almost all of the groundwork of actually getting people off of the train, getting them to come down here. We're in the basement of the station and offer them a little bit of warmth, a little bit of shelter before they continue on their journey. Slowly, we are taken more seriously. There is more what's the English word? There's more of a communication at eye level, but between our humanistic interests and their pragmatic interests, it's sometimes hard to balance and sometimes frustrating. And also the structures that the city is building are not stable. So for example, when the catering came in on the first night, they left at 10 p.m. The station was still full of people. And until those structures are not stable enough and we're not sure that the people are being well cared for, we will be here and we will provide what is needed or at least try if we're not limited. The city of Berlin and the state of Germany is emphasizing always that volunteer work is a big part of helping the refugees. That's true. And they're telling us, thank you, thanks for the great work you're doing, blah, blah, blah. Mostly it's empty words because instead of asking us for our expertise, asking us for what we think the people need, and obviously not everything will be possible. I'm very aware of that because there are a lot of rules and most of them are there for good reason. But all of the volunteer organizations, and that's not only us, are not being heard enough. So when the state comes in with their very strict system, a lot of things fall through the cracks, like the private accommodation, like people who do not have Ukrainian citizenship, there's a lot of them. And medical support, the Red Cross is on site, but only since a couple of days, I think, there have been doctors now who come as volunteers to give out medicine and actually provide higher level care than the Red Cross can provide. This has not been possible for over two weeks because regulations. And in a crisis like this, I'm sorry, that's ridiculous. I asked Ina whether there was a hosting scheme for refugees. Theoretically, there is a system to match people, hosts and refugees for private housing but it's not working. There was an NGO here that did the hosting matching here on site at the station. And this NGO was sent out of the station because of, on the one hand, safety concerns, because there were some issues with it where people came back from the homes where they were hosted saying that they felt unsafe. 
there were hosts that said, yes, I'll take a family in. And then when they saw them, they were like, oh, no, they're not white. I'm not going to do that. It was really terrible. And then they got to choose another family. That's not okay. So then the issue was brought up that those people have to be checked and vetted, obviously. There's a tent outside of the station that's run by an NGO, a Christian NGO. They do a lot of work with homeless people, and they also run a shelter here at the station. This is probably why they got this assignment to run this tent. And so the housing was going to take place there. Then again, no room and still no good, safe process. There's a website for it where hosts can register. A lot of people show up here and they said, hey, we registered like two weeks ago. We're waiting for somebody to call us. We have space. There are people that have entire apartment blocks that they can house refugees in. And they're super frustrated because nobody's getting back to them. And instead, people are being put in cold and crappy shelters. There are a lot of Telegram groups, Facebook groups where people do that privately. But we do not recommend that because of these issues that I mentioned. So we really hope that that's going to work out at some point. I wondered what refugee numbers were like at the moment. I think the first wave of refugees has died down a little bit because now, and I'm putting this in air quotes, only around five to 6,000 people a day are arriving, which is already less than 10,000. There is now a system set up where people are put on the buses to the old airport here in Berlin-Tegel, which is now not functioning as an airport anymore, but instead as a big, big shelter. People are put on buses from there throughout all of Germany because Berlin itself is full, so there is not a lot of chance to get long-term accommodation in Berlin. If people register here, they will be probably sent to other parts of Germany, to wherever there's more space. We had buses running from here to other cities. That is now shut down. They're all running from the airport. We also had buses arriving here from Poland that we're also serving as well. They will also now go to the airport, and this will all be handled centrally. The facility is fully up and running. It took them a couple of weeks to set it up, but it's now like running at full capacity. We will see how that develops. I haven't been there yet. For now, things have quieted down here, but I don't think that this is the end of it. Absolutely not. And I have absolutely no idea how this will develop. Also at the welcome desk, standing in front of a whiteboard with arrival times for today's trains from Warsaw, Vienna, Budapest, the list went on was Emmanuel, a molecular biologist. He told me how he had become involved and how the volunteer system works. I came here the first time about two and a half weeks ago since it became clear that a lot of people, thousands, tens of thousands from Ukraine would arrive in Berlin. This is due to the geographic situation. Of course, we have direct train to Poland from where most of Ukrainian refugees actually come on to Western Europe. To me, it was clear this is a very difficult situation that cannot be handled without volunteers taking a few hours per day or per week to assist in the people arriving here to solve these everyday problems that occur and to support the general situation in order to make it better for everybody involved. I fit it in with my normal work. I'm pretty flexible in my working hours, so I can decide, okay, today I have two or three hours that I can spare. I also work close by, so I can easily fit this into my schedule. There are also other people who do this on a much more regular basis. This is particularly true for those speaking Russian. I also have Ukrainian colleagues from work who are here for like 10 hours a day, because most people who do arrive here, they do not really speak English or German. We are in the first basement, so to say. It's a large area, but it's not particularly warm or comfortable here. 
We have areas where people can sit down, get some food as well. We have specific booths, for example, for people of color. A lot of refugees from Ukraine were, for example, students from Nigeria or other countries on the African continent. We have some information booths from the German railways. We have possibilities to get free tickets to other cities in Germany. We, of course, have all the commodities of the railway station, food places, toilets, showers and so on. The core coordination team does introductions, briefing every 30 minutes during the day. People have to register themselves online, but then they can go to the main station, participate in that briefing. There they get the daily information because things can change on a daily basis. And afterwards they can be assigned to specific tasks. For those who come here on a regular basis, two or three times a week, like me, we already more or less know where to go and what to do. Most of the volunteers have these yellow vests. The ones with the orange vests are those speaking Russian or Ukrainian. This is extremely valuable because we often have situations that somebody comes here, doesn't speak English or German. Then we can go to one of these volunteers with an orange vest and tell them, can you briefly help me with the translation? Most of them come with no money at all or Ukrainian money that can at the moment be exchanged. So they are in need of free food and free housing. The next step is perhaps to go to another city in Germany because they are less crowded than Berlin at the moment. And after that comes the request for financial support from the authorities and of course registration as a war refugee. The European Union has put this specific guideline into place that allows for fast registration as refugees and which is also including an immediate work permit. It was now nearly a month since Russia had invaded Ukraine and refugees were still arriving at the Hauptbahnhof. I think we all have to be aware that this is not a short-term situation, given the ongoing destruction of substantial parts of Ukraine. We have to be aware that many more people might be coming and that even if the war would end soon, they wouldn't be able to go back immediately. So we have to set up a system where these people that are coming here can also get work, send their people to school. So we have to be well aware that this is a marathon and not a sprint. The volunteer effort, at the start a few people with sandwiches wanting to welcome the refugees, was now an impressive and highly organised operation. I asked Ina how she saw its future. I've been a bit hesitant about giving our name because we are working on maybe becoming an official organization. It's not clear, but we can absolutely start using our name and we have to, to be taken seriously as well. We're Berlin Arrival Support. That's the name of the Telegram group as well. And I hope that you will hear more from us in the future. I didn't ask to speak to any of the refugees. They are exhausted and often traumatized when they arrive. They didn't need another journalist asking the same formulaic questions. The huddled figures sitting on benches around the station, surrounded by suitcases and plastic bags, waiting to continue their journey wherever that might take them, said it all. I emerged from the Hauptbahnhof into the bright Berlin sunshine. My conversations with Ina and Emmanuel had left me inspired by what ordinary people can do when they get together. I had been moved by the warmth and humanity of the volunteers and humbled by their generosity to strangers. Once again, as on my visit to East Berlin back in 78, I appreciated what it really meant to be free, this time to have the freedom to remain in your country rather than to be forced to leave it.
That brings us to the end of this first episode in our new series, Standing with Ukraine. My thanks to Ina and Emmanuel and all those who helped me during my visit to Berlin. To Jonathan Slatter of Sounds Visual Music for his beautiful recording of the Ukraine National Anthem. And to you for listening. Do join us next time when we'll be travelling through the history of Ukraine with writer and journalist Anna Reid, author of Borderland. In the meantime, please share this podcast on. You've been listening to Standing with Ukraine from Chrome Radio with me, Katrina Oliphant. <laughs>